Amen. James chapter 4, if you have a Bible, if you're joining us online, thank you for being here as well. And, uh, you know, James chapter 4, as I was thinking through it this week, as I was studying it this week, uh, really was kind of a reality check for me. And, and I hope that it will be for you today. A, a reality check on who we are, who God is, and what is actually happening in the world around us and then in the world in us, right? There, there's an entire being inside of you that is complicated, that is, uh, I think complicated is the right word. I'm just going to stop there. But as you come to the book of James in chapter 4, we've been tracking through this thesis that James has in chapter 1 that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. And that he chose you and me to be what James refers to as the first fruits of his creatures. And that sort of reorients us and brings us back to the place that we're supposed to be in the fact that we are creatures, God is a creator, and we worship him. And we recognize that literally every single thing that we have comes from a good father. And so that theme is running through. And what we're seeing is when grace comes into your life, what is the evidence of that? How does that work its way into our hands and feet and our mouths? And we've talked about all those different things. And if you're like me, you read the book of James and you're like, yes, I, I agree with that. I love that. I want to be that. But most of the time, come on, church, I'm not that, right? It's like Romans 7. We try to bring Romans 7 up every week to encourage you and to encourage me if you want to know the truth. Because Paul, what does Paul say? I mean, the Apostle Paul says, I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things that I want to do. I've got this war raging inside of me and I just, Jesus, would you come back? Right? And then he launches into Romans chapter 8. If God is for you, who can be against you? There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And then he lists like a hundred things and you're like, yes, yes. And James is going to follow right into that path. If you look at the first couple of verses with me, James chapter 4, verse 1 says this. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? All right. True or false? A little crowd participation. If you're online, write in the chat or something. But true or false, we've seen some quarrels and some fights in the past few months. True or false? True. You get an A plus on your test. All right? Because yes. Now, don't answer the next question out loud, but true or false, just in your heart, is the church... The bride of Christ guilty of that as well. Actually, you can say it out loud. True. Right? True. We've been guilty of that. And so James is saying, what is it that happens among people in the church? Because that's who he's writing to. And outside of the church. What is happening? But let's think specifically about those of us that are in the body of Christ. Here's what James says. Is it not this, that your passions are at war 
within you. True. Passions are at war. Our passions inside of us are at war with each other. Division and disillusionment come from the fact that we have a war inside of us. Paul would tell the Ephesian people, people that he loved, and that was a circular letter, so it was going to a lot of churches, and it came to us some 2,000 years later or so. He says, you are not in a physical war, right? He says, but you're in a spiritual battle against the powers and the principalities and the darkness of this age. And that's just not weird apocalyptic language. If you have not been hiding for the past few months, you can see it. And it's evident in the church that division can creep in when we're not careful. Disillusionment with the things of God, with the kingdom of God, with the mission of God that we're supposed to be on. Right? Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And you will be my witnesses. I'm going to come on you with power to be my witnesses. But we can come disillusioned with that and it is born out of a little bit of what we talked about last week where we talked about Satan being the father of lies. And that he'll lie to you and he'll tempt you to settle for less than God's best. But this is a reality check for us, right? Because look at verse 2. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. I don't have time, but we could spend a whole lot of time talking about our prayer life, right? What are you praying for? If God answered every single one of your prayers right now, what would change in the world? Or would you just have a nicer house and car? Moving on. All right. I feel guilty too. Look at verse 4. In case any of that wasn't clear enough, here's what he says. You adulterous people. That's us. That's us. And we, we need to be honest about that. You know, because listen, the good news of the gospel, the, the kingdom of God, the savior of the world. We don't fully recognize, appreciate and receive that without first understanding the law of God and what the scripture calls the perfect law of liberty. Being held up like a mirror in front of us. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's a powerful statement. Because if you and I are just going to be honest with each other, that is an assessment of our flesh That's an assessment of every single one of us that when we are not abiding in Christ, as John 15 talks about, we slide into wanting to have our cake and eat it too. Where we can have Jesus and have the church and have all of the blessings of God, but yet still be a friend with the world. And the things of the world. And so... James says we have this war happening inside of us between the flesh and the spirit. And we see something very interesting unfold here. 
that as we often settle for less than God's best, as we often settle for the things of this world and being friends with the world, there's something that happens to the spirit of God within you and I that James is pointing out here. And it's really important for us to know about the character of our God. Look at verse five. And if you're taking notes, I'm going to want you to write this down here in a second and think about it this week. Here's what James writes. He says, or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? The first thing I want you to write down is you think about this passionate war within you and the things of God and the things of the world is this. You need to know that God is jealous. That God is jealous. That this aspect of the character of God is actually the thing that I love the what one theologian said is the hound of heaven that will track you down, right? It's the it's the prodigal son story in Luke. That you can run but God never moves. We might move, but God never moves. And in fact, God is actively bringing his children back, right? It's the parable of the lost sheep where the Lord leaves the 99 to go after the one. And so he's a jealous God, but notice the language there. He's jealous over the spirit that he put in us. So as, as think about this, as, as we slide into that Friendship with the world that the spirit of God that lives within us actually becomes jealous and begins to war against those things that we are sliding into. And so there is this actual war that takes place in you. Satan is lying while simultaneously God is offering you hope and life and peace and joy and beauty. That's why... Jesus is called the Prince of Peace, right? Because it's a battle and you need, you need a prince to come in and save the day. I have a four-year-old little girl and she loves a good Disney movie. Come on, somebody. And I don't care what period in history a little girl loves a good hero. And now more recently, it's people like Elsa and... So now she believes she can save the day, which is awesome too. But you think about that and we understand that. We understand that we actually need a rescuer because we can't rescue ourselves. And we try, don't we? We try over and over and over. And, and yet we, let me say it to you this way, sin never delivers on what it promises. Right. We we believe that if we just do this, it's not really that bad and it will it will make us happy. And it might for a little bit. Right. Scripture says there's pleasure in sin for a season. But in the end, its way is death. And so James is in that place and he's letting us in on the fact that God is actually jealous over the spirit that he's put inside of you. And he is active, not just in jealousy over the spirit that was in, is within us, but he also is in opposition to our pride. Right? Look, look at the next verse here. 
it says, so he's jealous over the spirit they made to dwell in us. But then verse 6 says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Second thing I want you to write down is this, that God is gracious. Because you, you need to see the two sides of the war that are happening. God is jealous over the spirit that he put inside of you. And he's at war and at opposition to your pride. And to the fact that you think and the fact that I think and the fact that we think that the things of this world can satisfy us. And he just wants you to know that, that it can't. And because he's jealous over you and over the spirit that he put inside of you, he will at times allow you to experience those things because God's office is at the end of your rope. Sometimes we have to come to the end of ourselves to look up. Sometimes we have to be at the bottom so that the only place we can look is up. And the beauty of the gospel narrative through the whole of scripture is that God will be standing there. And when he sees you coming back, like the father ran to the prodigal son, he will run after you and embrace you. Maybe that's the word that you need today. Maybe you've been walking away from the things of God. Maybe the passions that are at war within you have won for a season. But the beauty of this is that in the end, if you read the book, you know that he wins. And so he is always prepared, First John says, to forgive us our sins if we'll confess them. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so that's always available. But God is jealous and God is gracious. But he's gracious. There's a path. For his graciousness to come into your life. For his present grace to be in your life. Look at what it goes on to say here in verse 7. So submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil. And listen to this promise. He will flee from you. I'm not going to make you raise your hand. But I wonder if I did. If any of us would be willing to admit. That it would actually be really awesome. If the devil would just run away from me. I could use that. I'm sure you could. But that that's an actual promise here in the Bible that if you will submit to God, right? Because God is gracious in our humility. He's in opposition to our pride, but he's actually gracious to us in our humility that if we will actually submit, which is probably the hardest thing for a 21st century United States of American Christian to do. Submit. We don't want to submit. We have a culture that doesn't submit. And so James is saying, listen, God is jealous and he's going to pursue you and he's at war with the enemy in you. But he's willing to give more grace. There's grace available at every moment of every day and every hour, always ready for you. But he gives more grace, but it's in our humility. Because he's in opposition to the pride that makes us think that we don't need him. John fifteen five. apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. Not a little bit. Not a lot of it. Nothing. Nothing. So he's gracious to us in our humility. And then he keeps going here. In verse 8. 
Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. God's gracious in our humility and the pathway through that is repentance. Right? God is jealous and he's warring in you. He's jealous over the spirit in you. He's fighting that battle on your behalf. And in fact, he wins that battle on your behalf. And so often James says we settle for less than God's best because we're too prideful to humble ourselves and repent. To cleanse our hands. But God is gracious to us in our humility on that path of repentance. He is willing to forgive us. And to not just forgive us, but to cleanse us. And the Bible says he actually forgets about our sin. So whatever sin you're remembering, he can't. That's good news, isn't it? Whatever it is that's bombarding your thoughts and giving you anxiety and telling you you're not worthy of being the person we sung about, who God says you are, is forgiven and cleansed. And adopted into his family with all the rights and privileges of a biological child of God, Jesus Christ. Let that speak to you in this moment. So, the present grace of God is in your life, in the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And these passions are at war within us. But if we'll submit to God and resist the devil, the Bible says that there's actually something taking place in you, right? And James goes right to it in this next spot because where does the rubber meet the road in that? Okay, I'm with you, Pastor. The, the, the passions are raging. I get it. I'm there. I'm recognizing that God is jealous. I'm really thankful that God is gracious. Where's the rubber meet the road on that? Right? How's this work on Tuesday? Look at the next part of this. It says in verse 11, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver... And one judge, he who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? We began our chat talking about division and disillusionment and the passions that are at war within you and within me. And James brings that to this point. Where he talks about the fact that in God's church, because remember he's writing to a church that's scattered all over the place under severe persecution. And they still struggle with this. Even in the midst of incredibly difficult times to be a Christian. They still struggle with this not being in unity. Those passions at war bring a divide even amongst God's people. And we need to heed that warning. 
But when you put that back in with what we just learned about God, we come to this and write this down if you if you can. And think about it this week. Here, here, here's where the rubber meets the road in that. Instead of judging others, we can actually choose to resist the devil and draw near to God. Right? How, how does this actually work on Tuesday? You can, you can actually choose not to judge other people in and out of the church. You can choose to not spend your time judging other people. And actually choose to resist the devil because that's what the devil wants you to do. If he can just get you to judge all the people around you in church. His work is done. You're doing all the work for him. So I can actually, instead of judging others, choose to resist the devil. And the Bible says he'll flee from us. And then I can actually draw near to God. And what's the promise? That he'll draw near to you. So on Wednesday... When you forget about this and you're mad at your spouse or your kids, I'm preaching to myself now. There's actually a way out. There's a marriage psychologist that calls it the cycle of chaos, the spin cycle. (laughs) And what's interesting is even psychologically, I'm not a psychologist, so bear with me. You should probably go read the book. But my takeaway was that it just takes one of those people in that cycle of chaos to choose to step out. Right? Because what does the Bible say? That in this, in this war that's happening, all we have to do is resist the devil. And what's the Bible say? He will flee from you. Why? Why would the devil run away from you? Is the devil afraid of you? No, but he is afraid of the spirit that is jealous within you. Amen. You can be encouraged by that. Today. That's good news for you and for me, for us. And so as we think about that and as we bring that to a close, I'm going to have the band come back up and we're going to sing that song final word again, because that's the gist of the story, Right. That Christ has the final word that when Jesus Christ was on the cross, broken body, shed blood for you, he had the final word on what was actually going to happen in your life. And that's what makes this verse possible. That a victorious spirit, the spirit of the living God in you is jealous over you. And if you will submit to him and resist the devil, God will draw near to you. And you will have peace. A peace, the Bible says, that passes all understanding. Because it comes from the Prince of Peace. Amen? Amen. So nearby is going to be a communion element. Little self-serve. COVID style. And if you want to go ahead and get the top film off and grab that wafer in your hand... I'm going to have the band just start to play. Give us a little bit of music as we think. But if you go back to Mark chapter 14 where Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. It's a, a powerful setting because Jesus is with his disciples. They've been with him for three years at this point. 
And Jesus knows that he's about to die. He's about to take his body and offer it. It's going to be broken. I encourage you to just take that wafer as we do and break it. And think about, even as it cracks in your hands, that it was the body of Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. That when he was on this earth, he came with you and I in mind. He could have, at any moment, destroyed the whole thing. But he didn't because he doesn't go against his own character. And he knew that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness for sins. And so for centuries and centuries and centuries, the people of God were bringing animals and sacrificing them. And it was as nasty, bloody, smelly, and gross as it sounds. But it needed to be. Because we don't actually think about how gross our sin is in the eyes of God. The one who sent his son on your behalf and on my behalf. And as they took that cat of nine tails and whipped him, and it literally rips the flesh off his back, this is what he had in mind. That you and I, 2,000 years later, would be sitting here taking a fake wafer, styrofoam, and breaking it to think and remember, and as the word says, to proclaim the Lord's death until he again comes and makes all things new. Until we fully realize that his kingdom has come on earth as it is in heaven. There's power in this moment because 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that is this not the body? Is this not the bread that we participate in the body of Christ? It's more here than just a little wafer. As we submit to God, 1 Corinthians 11 tells us, to examine ourselves. And James has laid out clearly for us today that the path in the grace of God is in our humility and our repentance. And so before we take the bread and before I pray, I just want to encourage you to examine yourself. To just sit with the fact that the Son of God, the one who hung the stars in the sky, who created all the biological elements of the human body, and of the plants and the ground and all the amazing things that are around us. It was that God who stepped out of the splendors of heaven to come and live the life that you and I are trying to live but cannot. And he died on the cross on our behalf. If you're not a Christian, as we sit in silence and we sit with that and we consider just how gracious God's been to us and we confess our sins, can I just invite you, if you don't know Jesus, that this, there would be no better time than right now for you to submit to God. The Bible says it's very simple. If you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead, you will be saved because it's not just a fable or a tall tale. There's a God who saw you, loved you, and is pursuing you right now through his broken body, through his shed blood on the cross. Will you submit to God in this moment? Let's take just 10, 15 seconds, those of us that know Him, to confess our sin and to draw near to God. And for those of you that don't know Him, 
Now's the time. Talk to him in the quietness of your heart over these next few seconds. Jesus said this in Mark 14, verse, beginning in verse 22. And if the band pauses briefly, it's because they're going to take the elements with us. But Jesus said this, as they were eating, he took bread. So take your bread, you've broken it, you've thought about the body of Christ, broken for you. We're doing that because Jesus did. Look at what he says. And after blessing it, he broke it. And gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. Let's take it together. And the scripture says, then he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. Let's just take a moment and give thanks. We've taken a moment to consider his broken body. And as we think about his blood shed for us, it pushes us into this space of thanksgiving. In Psalm 138, David said, with my whole heart, I will praise you. I give thanks to you, O God, with my whole heart. We have much to be thankful for, don't we? Paramount of which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. And so he says this. That he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they drank all of it. Amen. And then Jesus said this. He said to them, this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And there's our hope, church, that our hope is not in this world. Our hope is not in this kingdom. Our hope is in the kingdom of God. It's in the righteousness of God. It's in Jesus Christ, who is our peace. And so why don't you stand with us? We're going to sing just a little bit more of that song that Jesus, that Christ has the final word. Thanks for being here with us today. We love you. Hope you have a great week. We can help you in any way. Come see us at Info Central. Uh, don't forget about the Angel Tree and for Bali. A lot of good things going on. We love you.